0: And welcome to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly episodes for news on movies, TV, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike, his name is Matt, is what I would say if he was here, a solo show today, which means it's either going to be really fast or really nonsensical, and I'm counting on both of them. So, let's dive right in. And we start with the music section. We start the music section with the billboards. And we always start the billboard with the Hot 100. And at number one, Last Night by Morgan Wallen. And number two, Kill Bill by SZA. Coming in at three, Flowers by Miley Cyrus. At four, Creepin' by Metro Boomin'. And The Weekend and 21 Savage. And rounding out your top five, Die For You. By The Weeknd and Ariana Grande. Hey, The Weeknd. Two in the top five, plus he showed up at Coachella this past, uh, yes, last night. Yeah, that was last night he was at Coachella. Uh, but we're not going to get here to talk about Coachella just yet. We'll save most of that for next week once the weekend wraps up. So, in the meantime, let's continue with the Billboard 200, your albums chart. And at number one, One Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen. Coming in at two, Portals by Melanie Martinez. At three, Call Me If You Get Lost by Tyler, the Creator. Yes, that Tyler, the Creator. At four, The Record by Boy Genius. And rounding out your top five, SOS by SZA. If you want to hear Matt's thoughts on The Record by Boy Genius, Check out our uh, episode last week or two weeks ago. Might be two weeks ago when he talked about the record. If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. Starting with Safe to Run by Esther Rose. "Fuse" by Everything But The Girl. Que Dios Te Maliga De Mi Corazon by The Mars Volta. And lastly, Autumn or "Autumn," by the Smashing Pumpkins. Yes, those Smashing Pumpkins. All right, let's get into the news. And while Coachella is going on right now, there's other news happening outside, uh, including the National Recording Registry, where the Library of Congress has issued its annual list of 25 recordings that will be added to the sting list. This usually covers a range that runs a gamut from the very first time mariachi music was captured for posterity in the early 1900s to Daddy Yankee's Carolina about a hundred years later. In between are some curiosities and monster hits that the library deems worthy of preservation for all time. although. In the case of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, the prospect of it is record falling into disrepair due to neglect will probably not be an issue any century soon. Among the enduring smashes from the second half of the 20th century that made the list include Madonna's Like a Virgin, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, John Lennon's Imagine, Queen Latifah's All Hail the Queen, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young's Deja Vu, not to be confused with Olivia Rodrigo's Deja Vu, or the film uh, Deja Vu. Uh, there's also Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, John Denver's Take Me Home, Country Roads, Bobby Gentry's. Ode to Billy Joe, Irene Cara's Flashdance, What a Feeling, Eurythmics, Sweet Dreams, parentheses, are made of these, and Police's synchro- synchro- Synchronicity. I can say that. So, a gamut of hits, uh, like I said, ranging from um, some classics that you wonder, why is this already in there? like Stairway to Heaven and John Lennon's Imagine, Uh, and even stuff like John Denver and uh, Bobby Gentry's items. But hey, they're in there now. They'll be preserved forever. So even 100 years from now, you'll get all of these um, records to listen to and reflect on and say, yes, those were the classics. Let's move on to our second story. Uh, so, we talk about Spotify all the time. And last year, one of the big games uh, was Wordle. And then there were a lot of imitators like Hurdle, where less than a year where Spotify eventually acquired Hurdle. Well, less than a year after Spotify acquired Hurdle, the audio streamer is mothballing the music game. That's right. Quote, Hurdle is going away on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, a message on the website's uh, services website says, quote, thanks for playing Hurdle, but unfortunately we have to say goodbye, end quote. In the note to Hurdle users, uh, Spotify said that if they have statistics they would like to save, make sure you go to your stats and take a screenshot by May 4th. When Spotify announced that it's deal to buy Hurdle in July of 2022, the company touted it as a tool for musical discovery, saying that playing the game might just help you rediscover old tracks you may have thought you'd forgotten, discover amazing new artists, or finally put that title to that wordless melody you've had caught in your head forever. And honestly, I don't think this will be missed. Um... You're basically playing Shazam yourself against yourself during this. Um, or, you know, you can watch Beat Shazam on Fox. You can also watch Don't Forget the Lyrics on Fox. You can also watch American Idol on Fox. Oh, no, sorry, that's on ABC now. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of other ways to get music to your ears and rediscover old albums. Especially when people make playlists say titled, Remember These Old Songs? Or nostalgia from X Decade, or even, yeah, those songs, or, oh yeah, that song. Lots of um, albums and playlists out there to rediscover old music, and it's kind of sad that they're discontinuing Hurdle. I thought it was fine, but I'm also not one to play it on the regular basis, so maybe it just wasn't for me. And like, like the announcement says, if you want to save any of your stats from it, you need to take a screenshot by May the 4th, otherwise all stats are going to go away, cleared, just wiped from everywhere on May 5th. It'll be Revenge of the 5th. Typically, this is where Matt would introduce his music that didn't listen to the week, but he's not here. And the only music I listened to was continuing that uh, Luke Combs record because he'll be at Stagecoach and I'll be at Stagecoach and I'd like to know the music. But then again, do I really care? It's kind of like forcing myself to do it at this point. Um, Maybe it'll be fine. Maybe not. Uh, We'll see how his performance goes. But that is still two weeks away. So for the next two weeks, I'm pretty much going to inundate myself with the upcoming Country Music Acts and all the new albums that they've put out. Yes, looking at you Kane Brown. I will get to your discography at some point. But enough about music. Let's get let's keep this train moving along and going right into video games and we start with new releases. Uh, starting with God of Rock for Everything Wide Release. This is the fighting music rhythm game, where it's a bit like uh, Guitar Hero or a Rock Band, where you're mashing buttons to the beat, but instead it's in a fighting game style, where every time you hit correctly, you'll do more hits, more damage. Do better than your opponent, and you'll win the fight. There's also the Mage Seeker, colon, a Legend of Legends story, and that's out for everything as well. There's also Minecraft Legends, Out for Everything, wide release, as well as Coffee Talk, Episode 2, colon, Hibiscus and Butterfly, Out for Everything, and Dead Island 2, Out for Everything, but the Switch. In some exclusivities, Advance Wars 1 and 2, I'm sorry, that's Advance Wars 1 plus 2, colon, Reboot Camp coming out for the Switch. And lastly, Horizon Forbidden West colon Burning Shores. The DLC comes out for the PS5. Uh, As for your video game news, we start with Microsoft and the upcoming release of Redfall. The four person co-op Battling vampires, I want to say. Not zombies, but vampires in uh, Salem, Massachusetts. Well, the upcoming game won't include a 60 frames per second performance mode on Xbox Series X and S. When the game is released next month, instead of it being uh, at 60 FPS, it will be added via a game update. At a later date, uh, said the game's official Twitter account on Wednesday. At launch, the Xbox versions of the game will include a quality mode only, with Xbox Series X supporting 4K 30 frames per second and the Xbox Series S offering 1440p 30 frames per second. Uh, Nothing to say about what the PC version may or may not... Um, entail, but the 60 frames per second will be added later. This shouldn't totally affect your gameplay, but for people who do like to run on performance mode with their fancy TVs that do 60 FPS, and in general, that's where consoles are going as a standard, that it should be 60 FPS, we'll get there. But this is kind of like the unfortunate side effect of it. It will be updated in a later date, no timetable on when that will happen, but if you beat it on 30 FPS, it may be a good reason to go back and beat it at 60 FPS. And it is fun to go back and play old games, unlike what Media Molecule is doing, just like Spotify did with Hurdle, is ending support for games. So, Media Molecule, that is a mouthful, Media Molecule mouthful. Media Molecule, the developers behind um, Sackboy's Adventure, and Sackboy in, in general, have announced that it will be ending support for Dreams on September 1st. In an article posted on the game's official website, the studio has explained that it's quote, "...made the difficult decision to discontinue live support for Dreams after September 1st, 2023. To shift our focus to an exciting new project," end quote. Players will still be able to play, create, and share content on the game after September 1st, but it will be receiving no further updates after this date. The game will also be migrating to a new server in late May, at which point players will be given a storage limit of 5 gigabits for their creations. So, not only are they taking away support, but they're going to cap just how much um, you can have saved for your creations at 5 gigabits. Now, I was never one to actually get into Dreams. Um, I liked some of the creations that came out of it. But I think it was also one of those things where it was too many tools and kind of felt like overwhelming at times. It did follow the steps of, like, Mario Maker and kind of those uh, create-your-own-game-level and designs. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, it was fine for what it was, but, yeah, with no one actually playing it, it doesn't make sense to keep it running and makes more sense to kind of end support and move on to the next thing, whatever it may be. Speaking of moving on to the next thing, we are just cruising right along here. I mean, This may just be a 30-minute episode by the time I'm done with it. Uh, but we're going to talk about EA Sports. If it's in the game, it's in the game. And they just came out with their new game, PGA, uh, PGA Sports PGA Tour, colon, Road to the Masters. Uh, This is the PGA game uh, separate from the 2K uh, PGA games that have been done in the past uh, where you could create your own courses, create your own player, um, pretty much have open wide customization, but you you didn't get any of the fancy um, kind of sponsorship deals that came with it. So what happened is now EA got the licensing, as we reported on, so you can have specific players on the tour, PGA Tour, to play as, not just the PGA, but the LPGA as well, as well as specific courses designed to be played from the from Augusta Masters to any other um, courses on the tournament. Also, um Like the old school courses, old school, um, old school courses, the old course from, uh, from Ireland, Dunland, Funland, my land, your land, this land is whatever land, uh, the old, the old course in Carnoustie, or sorry, in, yeah, St. Andrews. I don't know why I keep blanking on that. In St. Andrews, uh, So, it's fun to pick a golfer. You can be any range of the PGA, of anyone on the PGA Tour, and play uh, these courses as them, which is good and fun. If you're playing as these guys who have these, who have the uh, abilities of different stance, uh, of like, you know, sometimes they drive the ball better uh, putt better, chip better you know, the different stats that you can see um, when selecting your character and then also gives you the stats of like how they should fare against us any specific course and that's all fun that's kind of what like I like when getting when diving into games in golf games specifically like the 2k PGA Not they weren't PGA but the 2k golf games, PGA games Unfortunately, if you... Or maybe fortunately, maybe it's on purpose. If you do the creative player option and the career option, you basically start from nothing and from scratch. And start from nothing and from scratch and saying, Hey, you who knows nothing and has zero base stats, go play the St. Andrew's course. Or go play... Uh, the master's course in Augusta. What you're basically saying is you, random person, playing this game, this is how you would actually fare on a course like this. Because these are some of the hardest courses in the world. There's a reason that, like, the leaders are only, like, minus six, minus two. You're not going to get, like, the minus 20 under par on these courses. Um, it's not going to be uh, birdies constantly. No, these are hard-ass courses with hard-ass greens designed specifically to test the best golfers in the world. Now, you can play these as these courses as designed in having your own setup as difficult as possible where everything has to be perfect. Otherwise, they are going to go shake right, so, Fade left, shake right, and have it be completely arbitrary and random to where your ball eventually lies. Or you can play on arcade mode and have it be super easy, except when trying to line up your shot. Because even when I hit, like, I got done, like, fed up with, like, being in, like, the master and the pro level because I wasn't doing what I wanted... I dropped everything down to easy just to be like, okay, I want to be easy and I want to basically own this course and get birdies and eagles all the time. Did not happen. In fact, it got so bad that I got kicked off the tour in my career mode. Or actually, no, I didn't even make it onto the tour, even when playing in the super easy uh, mode, that these are – these golf courses – are specifically designed to test actual professionals. So to have my guy who has zero stat base go out there and try and compete on their level, it just doesn't work out. Now, I think that's part of the game mechanics in that it wants you to, yeah, you're going to fail. It wants you to, yeah, you're not going to hit par all the time. But you'll get EXP. So you can put those points into your stats. Well, it'd be great if, they, if I uh, ever paid attention to going back and doing that. Um, and even then, uh, at least stats themselves are very wishy-washy on what exactly will help you perform. And it kind of breaks down to several different categories of here's your driving category, here's your approach category, and here's your putting category. You can get good at one immediately, or you can slowly build over time. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, so now you're a little bit better, and now you're a little bit better. So it kind of encourages the creative a player function by encouraging you to gain levels, gain XP, gain skill points to use. Or you can do what EA wants you to do and buy your skill points, buy your gear, buy your clubs, buy your grips, buy, buy, buy using microtransactions by saying yes. You can spend time and grind to get everything. Or you can pay us money and we'll give you fake currency to use in the game. And you can up your stats, up your gear. Oh, you want this master's hat? Well, too bad. It's locked behind this premium currency that you can only buy money with or win challenges with but if you're not good enough right now you can't win the challenges you have to get good Um, not just with your player but with all the players because there's certain times, uh, certain challenges where you'll be a specific player who has to complete certain challenges and in that sense it mirrors the previous EA games like uh, the Madden Ultimate teams uh, where or even the NBA teams where they want you to play as a specific player to mimic specific uh, stats and records and abilities and kind of they want you to mimic what actually happened in the game. So you can feel like, yeah, like, yay, I did it just because they did it. But at the same time, it's also shows you just how freaking difficult and hard golf actually is. It's a stupid game played by stupid people who want to spend a stupid amount of time sucking in order to kind of get good. And yes, in real life, I am one of these stupid people who does spends a stupid amount of time trying to make stupid decisions and trying to get good. But at least I'm doing it with my friends. At least I'm out there, like on the course, like actually walking. Chatting, getting some like uh, life stories out of it. Not here though, not in uh, PGA Road to the Masters because it's a single player game. So I'm solely focused on being a single player in this. And there is, while there is online competition and there can be local play competition, most of the time. I'm just playing here by myself. And it's not a fun game to play solo. It's kind of fun when you're playing with other people. But at the same time, getting used to the controls and fading and dropping and measuring your power are all stuff that can instantly turn someone away and be like, man, why are we playing this? Let's just go play Smash Brother where and smash buttons and beat you. Or, why are we playing this? Let's just go play... XYZ, new fighting game, shooter game, make it easy. Golf is a hard, difficult game already, and EA's road to the PGA Tour road to the Masters is just as hard and difficult and infuriating as it is playing in real life. And I don't know if that's actually a good or bad thing, uh, because it's yes, it's giving you, like they say, if it's in the game, it's in the game, and it's giving you exactly what you want of a real-life kind of simulation. But if you're looking to kind of like dominate courses and just have fun, you're better off looking into other games, uh, other kind of golf-based games. Not that it's a bad game, just that it's a very difficult game for a very specific type of people. And unless you're willing to put in the work to get good at the 30 courses that they provide... Then you might be better off renting this game or like spending a weekend with it and then ter- giving it back or just borrowing a copy. Um, that's so much more I can say. Uh, except that I do wish there was a course creator. I know why there's not a course creator because EA spent money for the license, so they're going to use specifically these 30 courses from actual PGA uh, tours. But there's one thing that I do miss that you can't just create your own course and copy like hundreds of thousands of courses all across the globe. No, no, just their specific courses. And when you limit it to 30, eventually you kind of do run out of stuff to play. Run out of places to play the ball, to drive. Um, And overall, yeah, when the courses are hard to begin with, they don't make you want to go back and play the games again. So that was my long-winded response for uh, EA Sports PGA Tour Road to the Masters. And hey, that brings us right into television. And we start television with the Sports Corner because the Masters were on the previous weekend, Easter weekend, and it was Jon Rahm who won the Masters with minus 12 strokes over Brooks Kepka, who had minus eight, but he was actually leading going in. Uh, and Brooks Kepka ended the final round with plus three. Utter collapsed while John Rahm had minus three on the day, on the final round, and secured his victory. Congratulations to John Rahm on your win um, because this was an interesting time of where. Both the PGA and the Live Golf Tours were competing against each other. Uh, two, only two Live Golf members made it into the top five. Brooks Kepka and Phil Mickelson both ended the weekend with minus eight. But ultimately, it was the PGA man himself, John Rahm, to win the Masters. There's some scuttlebutt and discourse going on. Uh, about why this could be and everyone seems to be agreeing that it's because on the PGA Tour they play four rounds at, uh, per weekend on full golf courses whereas the Live Golf Tours plays three rounds and so you, it's an additional 18 holes that they had to play for the Masters and that it may have worn out both Brooks and Phil by the end. There was also a bunch of rain delays that could have played into it, but we're not here to um, blame the weather on your golf shots. Instead, we're going to celebrate John Rahm on being the top. In other sports news, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays in baseball have had the best start uh, in some some 40-some-odd years. At thirteen consecutive wins, unfortunately, they did lose last uh, last night. Yeah, going to say last weekend. Uh, they did lose last night, so the record does stand at thirteen and one, but does stand at one of the best starting records in the modern era. In basketball news, the Mavericks were fined uh, seven hundred and fifty. $1,000 for resting players in order, uh, in order to improve draft positions. While there is no actual physical evidence of it, um, the league pointed to a lot of the press conferences made, a lot of quotes said after and before, um, and kind of said that, yes, you we determined that you did rest players in order to gain draft position, so we will fine you $750,000. Also in the NBA, the uh, playoffs have started. Well, not really the playoffs, more it's the play-in tournament. So the uh, seating has been set. We have number one, Milwaukee, taking on number eight, Miami. Number two, Boston, taking on number seven, Atlanta. Uh, number three, Philadelphia, taking on number six, Brooklyn. And number four, Cleveland, taking on number five, Knicks. In your Eastern Conference, as for your Western Conference, number one, Denver, takes on number eight, Minnesota. Number two, Memphis, the aforementioned, or sorry, the Memphis uh, takes on number seven, Lakers, uh, Los Angeles. Um, at number three, Sacramento takes on number six, Golden State. And, at number four, and lastly, number four, Phoenix takes on number five, Clippers of Los Angeles. Congratulations on making the playoffs. Now, go play more basketballs. I guess the best way to put it Uh, Let's see here In other Playoff news The NHL Has officially um, Made their Brackets and their schedule And the chase to the Stanley Cup playoffs Has begun Uh, As we reported on The Boston Bruins are in your number one seed Gaining those wild card positions are Florida, uh, the New York Rangers, the uh, Winnipeg Jets, and the relative newcomer, Seattle Kraken. Good to see them go from ultimately what was last place last year in their inaugural year to making the playoffs in their second year. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going up against number one avalanche, number one seeded avalanche, so good luck with that. (laughs) Uh, And, yes, good luck to all other uh, NHL teams as we start this journey to the Stanley Cup. And, lastly, in sports news, we're going to go over to football, where Dan Snyder of the Washington Commanders has reached an agreement to sell the team for $6 billion to a group led by 76ers co-owner Josh Harris and Dodgers co-owner Magic Johnson. That's right. Two um, entities, two people closely connected with the NBA are now getting into owning an NFL team. We'll see if and when this deal actually goes through, but at least this means Dan Snyder will be out of owning the Washington football team. The former Washington football team. I think that's all I have for sports and sports entertainment. Uh, So, let's move right into TV news, then. And we'll start with the big news of the week. It finally happened. We've been reporting on it. We've been discussing it. But HBO Max and Discovery Plus will officially merge into the new streaming service, Max, on May 23rd. Just over a month away. In May, the HBO Max app will become Max. And there will be three plans for new subscribers to choose from. The ad tier for $10 a month or $100 a year. The ad free tier for $16 a month or $150 a year. And then there's the ultimate ad free tier for $20 a month or $200 a year. The Ultimate Edition allows users to stream in 4K UHD and on four devices at once, compared to two with the other tiers, and up to 100 offline download hours. Quote, this is a real moment for us. This is our time. This is our chance, and everything is possible, said CEO David Zaslav. In his introductory remarks. In addition to announcing that Max would be occurring on May 23rd, they also announced that the upcoming Harry Potter series that we talked about last week, everything is officially signed, they are moving forward, they are greenlit, and they will start the writing and casting process for Harry Potter series exclusively for Max hey, maybe not no 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 uh, there is no word on how involved J.K. Rowling will be on it um, if it's anything like any other project that she's been a part of that she will be well ingrained into everything that they do. Uh, But, at least for now, they are planning on one season per book. There are seven books, eight movies. That last one will probably be split into two, if they could so help it. But then people will look at it and be like, well, I could just watch the movies, I guess. But yes, by the time this does come out, it will be about 25 years since the first one started. So casting is on. Congratulations to whoever gets cast. You're going to sign a 10-year deal. At minimum. Uh, but yeah, uh, other than that, everything just kind of fell into place. We knew it was going to be called Max. The rumors were true. Um, if you're on HBO Max, you'll just get automatically rolled into Max. No word on if you're a Discovery Plus subscriber, if you'll get rolled into it, mainly because Discovery Plus was, at the time, cheaper per month to be uh, subscribed to, so I don't think you'll just get automatically rolled in. You may just have to get an HBO uh, Max subscription before then, or wait until May 23rd to get an official Max subscription. But it, it's all going away. It's all happening. And that it will be the Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday before Memorial Day is the one that will occur. But they're not the only big streaming studio making news this week. As Amazon Studios has been sifting through MGM's library and identified about a dozen initial titles for film And or TV development. So we talked about how they bought MGM for $6 billion. And now uh, that they haven't settled on what to do with the James Bond franchise, they're going to see what else MGM currently owns and turn those into new IPs, whether it's a new film, a sequel, reboot, remake, franchise, or straight-up TV series. Including, but not limited to, RoboCop, Stargate, Legally Blonde, Fame, Barbershop, The Magnificent Seven, Pink Panther, and The Thomas Crown Affair? Amazon Studios is in active conversations uh, on Legally Blonde both for a movie and a potential TV series. There already have been on and off efforts to get a third Legally Blonde film off the ground in the past five years. Amazon has similar plans for Stargate, RoboCop, and TV series based on Fame, Barbershop, and The Magnificent Seven. According to Deadline, there's already, uh, uh, according to Deadline, They have already revealed plans for a Creed universe spanning film and TV, which Amazon Studios has been discussing with franchise star, filmmaker, and media boat favorite Michael B. Jordan. The studio also just made a first-look deal with Sylvester Stallone and his Balboa Productions for film and TV projects. Amazon's not going to let that go to waste. They didn't buy it just for... Uh, They didn't buy MGM Library just for James Bond. So they're going to mine it like the Amazon uh, Prime series uh, Rings of Power. Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. They're going to mine it for everything it's got. Shocked, not shocked, this was going to happen. They're all about the IP, reboots, remakes, everything that was old will be new again. That's all. (laughs) That was a weird noise, but eh, that's about how weird I feel about um, mining all this IP stuff. Just, eh. all right. Speaking of things that make you go, eh. Love is Blind season four finale officially wrapped up. Uh, We saw the I do's and the I don'ts, but it is not officially done as we reported. Netflix will do a live reunion special tomorrow. So while we know who said yes at the altar, it has that did take place about a year year and a half ago. So now it is up to the live reunion to see what's been going on in the time since. Are they still together? Did some get divorced? Will they have any up uh, feelings or memories about what could have been done better during the season. Um, all that being said, Bougie Brett and Tiff, you guys basically won the show. Congratulations. Uh, but we'll watch I'll watch the finale of the reunion live if I can. Otherwise I'll talk more about it next week. Other than that, I don't really... Oh, other than that, I did watch one thing. And kind of going all the way through it, I started Succession. I've never seen Succession. It's in its final season. I figured by by the time I watch and kind of like binge through all four seasons, I can catch up to the finale and watch it live. So far, my initial thoughts are... It's very corporate-y, high-level, um, Game of Thrones-style backstabbing and kind of like taking over Company Takeover. I don't know how they can keep this up for three seasons, especially since they tried one and it failed. I mean, I guess that's to succeed at some point, but I'm still in the first season. I've got only a couple episodes left, and then going straight to the second, and then straight to the third, and hopefully by the end, I'll catch up. But I'll have my thoughts, my complete thoughts on the series of Succession by the time it wraps up properly in a couple weeks here, I want to say. I think they're on episode four of six, or four out of ten. So it's coming. The Friday is coming, so I have some time to catch up. And I'm hoping to do that. It's quite a daunting task because each episode is an hour. And I think that might be a bit too long, but we'll see. Good thing I can just binge all the way through. Speaking of stuff to binge, it's time for cancellations and renewals. What are we no longer watching? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Here's, I don't know what you're watching, but here's what's been canceled. Uh, we have Star Wars, colon, Tales of the Jedi, renewed for a second season Star Wars call the Bad batch will get a third season but it will be its last those are both on Disney plus Free Ridge has been cancelled after one season on Netflix The Ark has been can uh, has, is getting a second season on sci-fi and Die Heart starring Kevin Hart will get a third season on the Roku Channel And then NBC decided to renew all its standing standing, standing series of Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago PD, Chicago Wednesdays are back, as well as Law & Order Thursdays as Law & Order, Law & Order Organized Crime, and Law & Order SVU have all been renewed for another season. So NBC Wednesdays and Thursdays. Going nowhere. Uh, I don't have any deaths written down. If there are deaths and you want us to cover them, please uh, email them, uh, anything that I missed, to podcast at gmail.com. Now, let's get into the movie section and wrap this up with uh, the movie section. And we start the movie section with The Weekend Box Office. At number one, Super Mario Brothers movie with $146 million on the weekend. $204 million domestic so far because it opened on Wednesday. We'll talk a little bit more about Super Mario Brothers. Uh, At number two, John Wick Chapter 4 with $14 million. That brings this total to $146 million. Ayer uh, comes in at number three. Debuting to a $14 million weekend, $20 million box office so far. At four, Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves with another $13 million. Bringing its total to $61 million. And rounding out your top five, Scream 6 with another $3.4 million. And yes, that did cross the $100 million mark to $103 million so far. As for your other new release, Paint, open to an abysmal, $570,000. And that was not very good for being a wide release. Sorry, Owen, not, sorry, not sorry, Owen Wilson. As for your new releases, upcoming releases, uh, we have Renfield and Pope's Exorcist currently in theaters. With next week, we have Bo is Afraid, Evil Dead Rise, and Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Oh, and speaking of Guy Ritchie, we'll get right into that story because he is in the news because of The Covenant. But because he has a new movie coming out, someone took the time to look into his old movies, mainly one of his old writing partners. So Guy Ritchie is being sued over his film, The Gentleman, which starred Matthew McConaughey in the lead role as Mickey. So, the lawsuit, which was filed in London High Court last month by actor and writer Mickey DeHara, claims that Ritchie commissioned Dahara to write a sequel to the 2008 gangster movie Rock and Rolla, based on Dahara's personal life experiences. But in 2018, after Dahara delivered the screenplay about a protagonist who runs a marijuana business, Ritchie told him, "Quote the time of the gangster movie was over," intimating that uh, that the project was no longer in development. Well, that's what he that's what Guy Ritchie told Dahara. But, uh, two years later, Guy Ritchie releases The Gentleman, in which McConaughey plays a gangster called Mickey, who is trying to sell off his marijuana empire. Dahara claims the film is a, quote, substantial reproduction of his screenplay. Now, according to British newspaper reports, Dahara was once convicted of possessing cocaine and cannabis with an intent to supply, for which he did face jail time. Dahara says after the film was released in January of 2020, he texted Richie to, to point out the similarities between the two projects, to which Richie replied, quote, Mickey, I and my people have tried to contact you for some years now. There was no response. I am happy for us to sit down and have a chat. Now, it is worth noting that while Mickey DeHara did not get a writing credit for Rock and Rolla, he wasn't a producer on the film. Guy Ritchie got the sole writing credit for Rock and Rolla. He also got the sole writing credit for the, uh, for The Gentleman but Mickey tahara was not given any type of credit in the film, even if it may or may not be based on his previous screenplay. What is interesting is that in the following text between Guy Ritchie and Mickey tahara Guy Ritchie tries to make it all good by saying that they would give him credit on an upcoming film, almost as if, and like knowing that, yes, I used this, but we can't go back and give you profits on this. We'll just give you profits on the next one, whatever it may be. Not necessarily saying that the upcoming The Covenant is what that film is going to was meant to be. Just an upcoming film. So, based on the information provided, Guy Ritchie's not looking too good right now, especially in the court of public opinion. Uh, whether or not um, the the gentleman made money is irrelevant in this case because it's about using a script that someone else wrote and then taking it and saying, telling them I'm not going to use it or we're going to shelve it for now but in reality put it into production and into film. So Guy Ritchie may be doing some shady things right now. We'll see what happens um, with when this goes to court and uh, so it goes to the London High Court, and evidence is presented. All right, but enough about Guy Ritchie, because he is not a king at the box office. Instead, Mario is now the king at the box office, and we're going to start, and uh, we're going to not start. We're going to backpedal a little bit and talk about the Super Mario win this past weekend because in a major win for the box office as it continues to level out following the pandemic, the Super Mario Bros. movie shattered numerous records in its openings across North America and the international markets over the long Easter holiday weekend. The movie blasted past expectations to earn $204 million in its five-day domestic debut, including $146 million for the three-day weekend. Overseas, it pulled in an additional $171 million for an astounding worldwide start of $375 million, making it the best showing of the year to date on all fronts. Super Mario passed up the global debut of Walt Disney Animation's Frozen 2, which itself skated to $358 million opening weekend in 2019. Uh, The Super Mario Bros. film also became the top opening in Illumination's history by beating out Despicable Me's 2 global launch of $208 million and the Minions' domestic opener of $115 million. To date, the film has earned 260 million dollars domestically and 248 million dollars internationally. That puts its over that puts its worldwide haul at 508 million dollars after 1 week. No surprising it is now the highest-grossing film of 2023 at both the global and domestic box office surpassing Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania, But, more importantly, it makes the Super Mario Bros. movie the biggest video game adaptation in history, topping the grosses of Warcraft and Pokemon Detective Pikachu. And it's not stopping. Because that was just in one weekend. This thing is a smash hit, Um, Then again, with an IP like Mario, it was kind of expected to be a smash hit. But I don't think that anyone expected $500 million in one week. Talking about half a billion dollars for Mario animated film after a week. That is astounding. And I was fortunate enough to see the Super Mario Bros. movie. So, here are my little thoughts on it. It runs pretty fast, and it's actually pretty good. I think Nintendo had a lot to say in this movie on how things worked, but what gives it its charm is all of the animators who put a lot of love and affection to it by hiding the Easter eggs and kind of notes and nods and tip of the caps throughout the film. Whether it's in the music score, the selection, rearranging stuff, background imaging, quotes, lines, uh, and just letting Jack Black run wild and free with his own piano melody of Bowser's love for Peach. Which, for people who on the internet don't know, It is canon and has always been canon that that is the purpose that Bowser intends to marry Peach and bring him uh, a mother to the Kooplings. It's funny. It's fast paced. There's enough in there for the kids who may not know a lot about deep Mario lore. There's enough in it for adults who grew up playing Mario in the 80s. And 8-bit scenario. Or 16-bit scenario. Uh, there's lots of Easter Eyes references in the background um, to N64 era with Donkey Kong. Uh, the difference of uh, the Mario Kart races as well. Uh, although I feel like that would have been a much bigger surprise if it wasn't already spoiled in the uh, trailers. I think that would have been a great hit and a great reason for people to go see it. Like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe it, but they actually had this in there too. It's a great talking point of like, there's more in this film than what I expected going into the film. There's a lot of love in this film. There's a lot of painstaking details in it. And overall, it's fun for the family. The story itself isn't that deep. It's Bowser's coming and we need the Donkey Kong army to help us. But then even at the end, it's like, well, we didn't really need the army. We just needed Mario and Luigi. And they're kind of like, have hero duty thrust upon them. And they're not really reluctant heroes as much. I mean, Luigi is, but that's kind of like his personality. He's scared so he is a reluctant hero but with Mario he's more of a reluctant hero in that he continuously wants to prove everyone wrong and that's a great lesson to be learning especially from a Mario movie of yeah it's good to be proving everyone wrong it's good to be in engaged in in this world and being uh, at times thrown everywhere but I did appreciate that. He didn't get it right after the first time. There are a lot of Mario deaths, as well as all the different power-ups. Uh, the actual rules of the Mushroom Kingdom and where they are are very flimsy at best, <laughs> to say the least. But you're not meant to focus on kind of the rules of the world. You're supposed to be like, oh, I recognize this character. Yes. They're within their realms of, like, doing what they're supposed to do or how I see them doing. Uh, but overall, it's a fun movie. I'm kind of glad I did see it in theaters. I think it does not necessarily, like, worth the theater experience per se. But going as a family for a, like, a day out for a theater experience, it's definitely worth it. Lots of kids when I went to the theater. Uh, but also kids were laughing. Parents were laughing. Everyone had a smile on their face while watching the film. And I think that's the sign of a good, well-done film is that everyone can come into this on any age, any kind of level of appreciation of Mario, and come out with a good time, with a smile on your face. Uh, It's not necessarily pulling on the tear-jerking moments of or hating stuff that Pixar is known for or even that... um, Disney Animation does. But Illumination has never been about that. Illumination has always been about we're going to put in the celebrity voices and we're going to make you have a good enough time to where you're not going to be wondering when does it end. It's a fine film. I wouldn't mind watching it a second time. But I think ultimately that's about where I would end my time with it is after that second viewing though. It Not a whole lot of substance past that, unless you really want to like dive in and like look for all the Easter eggs and kind of little nods and homages. Outside of that, it's a very kind of formulaic base plot. That being said, it does open itself up to sequels, and there are different shots within this film uh, that say, "Hey, what if we did a?" Super Smash Brothers film since we already have a bunch of characters in here fighting. Here's how that would look kind of in like a little bits and pieces of it. I think that's where they they could go with this. I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff in here that they would need to establish other uh, films. Looking at you Kirby uh but overall, it's a fine film. I can. It's definitely worthy of the 500 billion opening that it's gotten, and I'm kind of looking forward to other films that maybe arise out of this. So yeah, uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Go see it. It's a good film. It's exactly what you're kind of wanting and expecting, but at the same time, the ending puts it into a really good perspective. Why it's a Super Mario Brothers film, movie. And with that, that wraps us up here. Oh, look at that. I did hit an hour. How about that? So uh, that does it for the Mediab- this episode of the Media Boat Podcast. You can check us out at MediaBoatPodcast.com. If you want to watch live streams or any of our recorded streams, you can go to Media Boat Podcast on YouTube, check out uh, the this episode and all others in podcast form on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcast, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasting feed. We are currently still on Twitter, maybe, uh, we're at Media Boat Cast on Facebook, Media Boat Podcast. Uh, if you want to ask us questions, fan questions, we'll answer it right on the air. Uh, go to mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com If you want to watch uh, more of someone awesome struggle to make the majors, uh, you can watch that at twitch at mediaboat. That'll do it for this episode. We'll be back next week for more news, more thoughts, more of us, hopefully, in uh, in person. And yeah, Just more shenanigans. Okay, I'll do it. And I'll talk to you guys later. All right, bye.